By embracing their natural strengths, women advisors are upending the status quo and challenging the financial industry with a more authentic approach to doing business. Welcome to the Femex Advisor Podcast, where we empower female financial advisors to fearlessly embrace their authentic selves. Adri Miller-Heckman, the founder of Femex Advisor, inspires and empowers women to leverage their natural strengths, creating more energy, passion, and success. Follow along for female-driven, inspirational, and motivational strategies for you to create the extraordinary life you have always wanted. Well, welcome everybody to today's podcast. I'm Adri Miller-Heckman, founder of Femex Advisor, where women embrace their authentic self. You know, working in the financial industry, it can be challenging, and especially for women. And while the numbers are slowly, and I may be over-exaggerating, <laughs> inching up, many women advisors come to me still feeling disregarded and unappreciated. So you keep your head down, you do your job, and you don't expect any pats on the back. And eventually you achieve success. If that's still the way it is for women in 2023, what was it like for women in the mid 80s and early 90s? My guest today is a pioneer. She is a tremendous example and role model to every female financial advisor out there. Renee entered the financial advisory world in the late 80s. And what made Renee's journey even more challenging was she was a young, beautiful, highly intelligent Black woman. And I'm not sure the industry was quite ready for Renee. <laughs> Renee Norse is the founder of Urban Wealth Management and has a very successful practice in California. For six years, she was a guest commentator on the CNBC Closing Bell. But she really earned her wings in the broker-dealer world and through a series of unwanted mergers, struck out on her own. And she built her own practice with no fear and no hesitation. I think that's how you live your life, Renee. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, welcome to the call, and I'm very excited to hear your story. You know, I got hired in the 90s, right? Right after the class, the sexual harassment suit where Smith, Barney, and Merrill Lynch were mandated to increase all female advisor new hires to 25%. And so their punishment, my opportunity. Yeah. And they were forced to start supporting women, but you started before that. I mean, what were you thinking? <laughs> yes, a good question. <laughs> because it was a challenge for a lot of women. Oh. And, you know, still is, which I will go over later. So how did you get that. started? Did you want it? Did you fall into it? What? Well, specifically at that company, because as you know, just as a, as a background, because I'm a baby boomer, <laughs> that I started in the industry back in the late 80s. And so 
just as uh, very quickly, I interviewed with a number of companies. They didn't reach out to me, which is typically what happens. I reached out to them and a number of them who are still major, major companies today kicked me back. They did not, they were not supportive of women. And if you are a woman of color, you get double whammed and kicked back. So at that time, the only firm that was at that time, we were coming into the industry as a broker dealer. And we know that that has changed. I came in to, I started my industry with at that time, Dean Wetter. And what was that like? It was very supportive because they were the only ones that hired women, really, that were supportive of women and people of color. Why do you think that was? Because that was a long time ago. Why was Dean Witter so progressive? Because... Um, and there, you know, there was a great movie that was out about that. Dean Witter's based up there. It's California. Oh, there we go. Uh, yes. And so just very quickly, because a lot of times people say based on all of the elements and the things that we incorporate here in California, we should be our own separate country <laughs> because yes. we do things very differently. But in any event, Dean Witter was the one that I was hired. And that particular office that I was in had a lot of women in it. And it was a variety of different ages, um, people of color as well. And so I stayed with them. I started at the end of 85, my first full year, because they hired me, even though I interviewed with several companies and they, at that time, and they probably still do take you through some testing. They want mm-hmm. you novice and they, you know, have you to talk to. They have some, you know, some um, examples of how you would reply if somebody wants to do XYZ. Um, anyway, and they'd want to hire me. But with Dean Witter, I stayed with them. I was very, very supportive and it was very wonderful. And because in addition to that, I had great managers who supported me. And even though back in the day as broker dealers, we, our priority was managing assets. And we would talk to people on the phone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pitching stocks to individuals. They hardly had to give their social security number. Absolutely. And you would take the trade and they'd bring the check in. They would bring the check in because obviously that was back before things were virtual. Yeah. So that happened um, many times. In addition to that, what occurred was even though, you know, when people would call in and, you know, the broker dealers were assigned to pick up, you know, incoming calls uh, on a daily basis, each or everybody had their own days. And of course, there were a lot of men in there with a number of women. So there were a couple of instances where, People would call in. Of course, they were men. Yes. There were some women that I spoke with, but I'll come back to that. And a couple of instances that occurred, which was scary. They knew I was a woman. I made some recommendations. They were happy. They said, oh, that's a great idea. Let me bring my check in. Let me do this. So the first time that that occurred, a person came into the office, said, I'm looking forward to meeting you, came into the office. 
I got up and went to introduce myself. He thought I was the admin person. And I said, no, my name is Renee. I spoke with you. And then he said, oh, I have an appointment. I have to leave. Then he called back within about a half an hour after he left the office. He did not realize that I was still the broker dealer that was assigned. The broker of the day, right? Broker of the day to take calls. And he called back in and said, I want to make another appointment. And he said, I, I just had, I came in and I met this woman, this, this woman of color. And I said, what color? Was she green? Was she purple? Was she gray? <laughs> he said, she was, before he said it, I hung up the phone. <laughs> he had made it clear. Another instance that occurred was a person that had come in. Again, he knew it was a woman. He came in and he saw who I was. He stepped back. He says, I don't want to work with you. He went over to my admin person and said, I want to make these investments that were made, but I don't want to work with her. And my admin stood up and said, if you don't want to work with her, you will not work with anybody here. Uh, uh. Leave. That was so wonderful being there, Dean Winter. They were so supportive of women in particular. And at that time, when I started in the industry, women made up less than 5% Uh. of women in this financial industry. You know, it's interesting you say that, and I never thought about that because I grew up in Southern California, built my business in Newport Beach, California. And when I became a national training officer, I had to move to Connecticut. The conservative nature, the old school environment in the New England and the East Coast was almost shocking, almost shocking. Because California was very open and receptive. And it it was huge. It was huge. And unfortunately, the culture at Dean Witter didn't spread. Not very well. Right. So you're at Dean Witter. You're selling stocks. Then what? Then. And it was, you know, I actually have... um, there was another African-American woman who came on board with this. And we have, matter of fact, I just celebrated her birthday just a couple of weeks ago. We have been longtime friends and we would do a lot of things together. And it was kind of depressing. There were about two other women who were with other different companies that were in the financial industry. And we would get together periodically and we would all cry. Mm. We would get together on a monthly basis because I won't name those another major firms, because those firms are still in existence. One of them left the industry altogether. The other one, we would get together monthly and we would cry about, you know, what can we do? You know, we would uh, uh, share what has occurred. So anyway, once, um, you know, and they recognize the the benefits of being a Dean Witter, then Dean Witter was acquired merged with Morgan Stanley. Mm. After seven years, and I left, because the other thing was that I had this great administrative person, Mr. Stoppanese, he was so wonderful, very supportive. And then 
he left and went to another. He was still with the firm, but he was managing another one. And then Dean Witter brought on an African-American male who managed that office. And he has been a longtime friend for many, many years. He was very supportive and he, you know, hired a lot mm. more people. But then when that acquisition took place with Morgan Stanley, he left and a bunch of people, not just people mm. of color, a lot of people left. That's very common. It is. Mm-hmm. And including the administrative assistants, the internal ones, because they did not want to you know, be in a different industry. So where did you go? So then um, he left and he went over to Prudential Securities, which at that time, Prudential, which as we know is a major insurance company, um, and of course annuities at that time, back in the early 90s, they had a securities company. And when he left, he went there, a bunch of people followed him and went there mm-hmm. and stayed there. But then, unfortunately, Prudential really wanted to focus more on their insurance and their annuity stuff. Mm-hmm. And they shut down. They sold their securities um, investment platform. During that time, the only positive thing that occurred was that our previous manager there at Dean Witter, he was managing that and he hired this female and said initially she was the one that was taking incoming calls for you know potential new prospects and he said you really need an administrative assistant he turned her over to me she has been with me since 1998 wow is still wow. with me. So you seem to attract people that want to help you. You've had good mentors, you've had good managers, you get a new assistant. What is it that allows you to build these very positive relationships in a toxic world, in a toxic industry? And in some instances, as I know you are aware, and anybody else who is viewing this, it still is a toxic. It still is toxic. Yes. So it is really, really important to take appropriate notes to understand what's working, what's not, and having the proper connections two, which was very, very helpful. As an example, with those instances that I talked about, even though I was in tears sometime, I would go over to my admin and he would say, you know, don't, you know, understand how that is stressful for you. Here, sit down. Here's some thoughts. Here's some ideas about how to deal with this when this happens again. Now, going forward, many, many years later, what is important for me, but also is more important for any other females that I have been mentoring a lot of over years is to highlight, ask, what are the top things? What are the top issues that you are experiencing? Give me an overview of that. 
What's been picking back and kicking you back? Number one, how have you been reacting to it? How Mm. have they been reacting to you? What has been the resolution? Number two, what are your initiatives? Do you want to still be at that same firm? Here's some other thoughts. Here's some other ideas. Here's some input that you can give to those. And here's some groups because there are a handful of female groups mm-hmm. and consultants just like you, my dear, that can provide some oversight, some thoughts, some ideas about what is the best steps for you to be and feel stronger about being able to extend and expand out your professional life. Because as we know, we are all multitaskers. Women Mm. are multitaskers. Oh, yes. Our brains are going three times the pace. Not that we're more intelligent than men, but they can really zero in and focus on one thing. Our brains are focusing on three. Exactly. And it's focusing on, you know, typically as with, you know, as family members, whether you have kids, whether you're married or not, you still are really actively engaged with your family members. Mm -hmm. You're actively engaged with doing, you know, taking care of yourself, hopefully too, but you're also very actively engaged in your professional life as well. And especially, which is the one thing that I experienced and I saw with a lot of female advisors at these firms, obviously they have kids. Some of them are also taking care of their parents. It's stressful. It is stressful. Plus, Mm -hmm. The expectation is, is that, well, how come you're not raising X amount of dollars, you know, raising them not uh, amount of assets? So let me ask you something. I know when I entered the industry, you were in L.A. I was in Newport Beach. There was a moment. There was a moment. I loved what I did, but this is hard. It's one of the hardest businesses to succeed at. Was there a moment when you drew a line in the sand and you almost quit? I would say, no, I didn't quit or thought about it because I had some phenomenal supporters. Yes, you did. That made a difference. And that is one of the things like I highlighted, it's important with females that you, you know, we are always going to get, you know, beat up oftentimes. But this is something I remind people a lot, especially in this industry. Even though females only make up now, we're only up to 25%. Oh, no, I don't even, that's CF. That's the CFP industry is 25. We're still around 18. Right. Even though we make up more than the U.S. population, we Mm. are over 50%. And it is estimated at the end of this decade, beginning in 2030, women will be in control of 75% of this 
country's wealth. A lot of it through inheritances. A lot of it will be because there has well, been this designation finally. You know, it could be through, you know, their widow, they got divorced, they are starting a business. Mm-hmm. There is starting to be finally, even though we're not paid the same amount of income, we don't get the same payroll that men are, we are up. Because when I first started, we were being paid like less than 50%. Now we're up, it's gone up to about 85%, Mm -hmm. but still. So we're getting there. So that kind of leads to where you are today. At Urban Wealth Management, you really focus on women. Yes. Was that always the case or was there a shift? I always said, you know, that is our priority my priority at my firm, and I came up with the name Urban Wealth Management, although that was not what some people thought. Oh, that's great. You're really about diversification. You diversify. You only work with Black people. And I said, there's plenty of companies that have the name Urban on it. It's just not for people of color. I came up with the name because a priority was really to focus on professional women in particular. And professional women tend to be in major cities, major urban areas. And the urban wealth management, wealth management, we want to help you to build up your wealth. So my priority really was not at the exclusion of men, And we do have a lot of men who are clients. Yes. And a lot of men are now stepping up and saying they have a preference now and understand the importance and the benefits of working with women. And isn't it interesting that when you articulate that the majority of your practice is women, it piques more interest. And the men... Most of the men are really trying to get their wives engaged, but they can't. And when they hear or see their wife being receptive to you, that's a game changer for them. Yeah. So what's the next chapter? You've built up this beautiful practice. I know that when we worked together, you started the Talk and Teach program, and then that built. Your slogan is... Is it savvy women, smart money? It is smart women, because I say all women are smart. Smart women. All women are smart. And uh, I created a group called Smart Women, Savvy Money, really wanting, you know, all women are smart. We want to help you to get savvy and have an understanding about how to manage your, your, your money. And not just investing. And my priority when I started my business was because I've had my CFP, I got my my mm. financial planning degree because, and this is what the majority of the benefits of women in this industry, we provide advice, give people oversight. For example, at the last firm I was before I left and started my business. And that last one was Smith Barney. Smith Barney. Was Smith Barney. And Morgan Stanley merged with Smith Barney. And I said, okay, I got to leave because they took over Dean Witter. And their priority was, you know, having a certain amount of assets. Anyway, bottom line is, is that 
I really uh, wanted to provide financial advice. And oftentimes when I would give financial planning advice, I would oftentimes be asked by clients or told, thank you very much helping me to figure out how to reduce my debt, you know, or I just got divorced or I got a new baby and what's the step or I'm changing jobs. And they would always ask me, how much do I owe you for that advice? I said, nothing, because that's not what this firm does provide. So at the top of my list, and that's what I prioritized when I started my firm back in 2012, I put that financial planning services at the top of the list. We do provide asset management, obviously, too. And the vast majority of the clients that come over, the prospects that come over, want financial planning services, even though they do transfer assets over over time, but that the priority is giving them the best steps. So you've built this up. What's the future look like? You have an all women firm. Is that correct? Yes. And you want to keep it all women. Yes. But you're not in this forever. So what's the next chapter? My next chapter is legacy planning, because I have a trademark on urban wealth management with our focus on women, not only as women as clients, but women as advisors in this industry, because both Mm -hmm. of them are getting kicked back typically. And so I want to maintain the name of this firm. I'm not going to be around for a gazillion years but I want to maintain this firm and I want to maintain it to be all females for multiple years. Over time, I'll have a few men to come on, but I want to make sure because many, um, there's just a handful of female-based RIAs. We're not IARs. And so even if somebody wants to be, you know, as a team member or they want to be an IAR and have their own business or practice, but you know, to be aligned with an RIA firm to make it easy breezy for them to make that, uh, to establish their own business without them having to do it. But at the end of the day, because of all of the contacts that we're getting, the prospects that are reaching out to us because they're looking for females to work with. Mm, Yes, they are. I want all females. And so many of, you know, our advisors are so over the top because- it's like it's a bunch of people that are coming mm. in and that they can't take them all. So that's why I need a lot more females. At what point when you were at Dean Witter, were you focused on women? Not at that time. It became later what occurred, which was fascinating. When I was at Dean Witter, like I said, you know, 95% of obviously the people that reached out were men, but there was one, there was a couple of situations that occurred, even though the men, and there was a few women that had reached out because they worked at these major, major firms in any event. And one instance, two instances, and one of them is still a client. She's been a client since the nineties. She is in her, uh, she's in her mid eighties. She looks Mm. 20 years younger, but she lost her husband. 
She was in her 40s, I think, at that point. The other one lost her husband. And so I was able to help them figure out what was the best step. The other, that one client that, for example, before her husband passed, we were talking, and again, this was before I decided to get my CFP designation. This was the advice that was given, just not about investing. Mm-hmm. But I did a review of what their services were and discovered that they had a very low amount of insurance. And of course, they're at Dean Witter, even though you're on investments, mm-hmm. you could provide insurance too. So I recommended that, even though they didn't get it with me, you know, I said, go to your insurance pro. And so bottom line is, which was scary, he said he was going to increase the coverage because it was a low amount. And plus he had, which was really scary, he had his previous wife listed as a beneficiary. Mm. And I, that's when I, you know, and they were both on the phone call because obviously we weren't <laughs> Zooming it back at that time. And so he said, you know, thanks for letting me know. Let me make this change and let me make the update. And so he told his wife, he did change the beneficiary and he said he was going to increase it because it was only like a $25,000 and she wasn't mm. working at that time. $25,000. He was going to increase it up to 200,000. Anyway, bottom line was this was so scary. He was talking on the phone. This was about two months later after we talked and he was a client. So he had assets there. He was talking on the phone and he died. Oh, on the phone with you? No, he was talking to somebody else. Oh, She was cooking. He was there, you know, back in the day, we would have those, uh, (laughs) your phones there would be in all those varieties. And she was cooking and he fell down, he passed. So bottom line is that, of course, she called and she reached out to me. And of course, she was in tears. But the expectation was that he would have had an increase in his insurance. He didn't. He only went up from that twenty-five to mm. fifty thousand. Even though he said he was going to take it up to two hundred thousand. So, and I remember she was so disappointed. And when we talked about it, it, was a few, you know, a few months later, and she said that he had lied to her and had told her that. And she said, if he was alive now, I would kill him. And she laughed. I said, that's not funny, girl. <laughs> You know, don't you think sometimes it's it's all these experience that you see, even when you're in the industry, that says, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. And it kind of leads you to wanting to care for and specialize in and support women. And when you have a cause like that, that is deeply embedded, right? Based on your mom's experience, right? Or my mother's experience. It is very compelling. Very compelling. Yeah. What advice would you give to the women listening to this call? There are so many women advisors Some have been in the business for a while and they're a little burnt out. Some are brand new. Some are doing career changes. What is the one piece of advice that you would like every female financial advisor to own or embrace? 
I would say at the top of the list, even though there may be instances where you could be stressed, because I do hear this from a number of people, that the firms that they are with don't understand or not supporting what their objectives are, is to, number one, highlight to that industry the, you know, the reasons why, because sometimes when you tell them the reasons why you're doing what you're doing, they don't have that entire background of right. why you're doing that, that service, even though the expectation is, is that you should do this, 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 and the other, but they don't realize what they just see that you're not doing what they would recommend. Exactly. So you're managing their expectations. And you, and it's important that, you know, you as a female advisor to let the firm know that you are helping your client based on, you know, what their expectation is what their needs are. So that's number one. Number two, and, and then sometimes, hopefully multiple times, that when you tell your admin that or whatever, they'll say, I'm sorry. Okay, you know, and you can ask them, what do you think is the appropriate steps? What are some resources that I can utilize? The other element is at these firms, which some of them are finally stepping up to, to create a female group. Mm -hmm. so that other females can come together and share some ideas and some thoughts about what are the appropriate um, steps to take in to support your clients. And then I would also suggest it's really important if you're at a firm that is really strictly focused on asset management to ask them, will they support you to get your CFP? And finally, mm. if you can find, because that is key. Uh, you know, I never thought it was in our day, right? You could be a financial advisor. You didn't have to have a CFP. Today's world, yes, I recommend it. I think it's very important. And many of these firms, as I know you know, these big firms now, even though their focus is on asset management, they are bringing on as part of their team, these big companies are bringing on and they recognize the importance of having a CFP person on there because when you have a CFP on there, that means that client is going to stay with you mm -hmm. for years. Because mm -hmm. if you're just focused on asset management, the markets go down, those clients will leave. Well, I think, Renee, that you came out of the womb fearless, confident, and determined. <laughs> I bet if I asked your mother to describe how you were as a child, that's what she would say. Everything you've done is absolutely amazing. And I think, too, there's nothing wrong with putting your head down, doing your job, and don't expect pats on the back. And what you just said, manage the expectations of your managers explain what you are doing. You know, right before I became a financial advisor, the firms were buying these phone uh, monitoring machines, and they could see how many outgoing calls each advisor was doing. And then women started to join the industry, and they were out of the office. And they thought they were out of the office getting their nails done. Right. What they didn't know is that 
their strength is networking, but they didn't know how to manage that. They couldn't control that, right? And they want to give you advice. So they only give you what they know. Your job is to educate them. And that's what you're talking about. Well, Renee, you're amazing. Um, You know, if a female advisor is looking for a new home, I would definitely check out Urban wealthmanagement.com. You've done an astounding job, not just building a successful practice, but the work that you do supporting other women. That is so huge. And thank you for that. Thank you for having me on board and you sharing your phenomenal ideas and thoughts and expertise. And thanks for asking me. You're welcome. We're the seniors of the group nowadays in this (laughs) industry. All right, thank you, folks. If if you love what we what we're talking about here, and you love our podcast, share it with anybody and everybody you know. And if you want to learn more about Femex Advisor, just visit our website at femexadvisor.com and book a strategy call. Let's see if we can help you. Thank you, and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Femex Advisor Podcast with Adri Miller-Heckman. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available and connect with Adri on LinkedIn. To learn more, visit Adri's website at femexadvisor.com. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Femex Advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.